If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, canceling police culture with Aaron Lowen. They can tell you all they want in the academy, but until you set foot out there and you're actually doing it, there's nothing that can possibly prepare you for that situation ever. Oh shit, I am the cops. I had an authority problem growing up. He was the first cop that I really met. I could relate to that was like a normal human being, you know? You're gonna fucking hate it, but just because you're nice, you're soft. Yo, you gotta ride the wave. I didn't get that in the beginning. You're just speaking my language right now. Whenever I talk about this, like, I'm speaking to it from experience. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good day. Hello, and welcome to the 10A Podcast. I am your host. I am your spiritual guide as we go through the next uh, little more than an hour and we talk police things and all good things that come with it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm your host, 108, and my guest today is NYPD Sergeant Aaron Lohman. You may know him by his internet handle, The Huge Fat Loser. He's got an amazing story. We actually don't really talk about it 
a lot today, but basically his transformation from being a big guy with not a lot of drive, ambition, whatever, into this jacked dude that wants nothing more to, than to help you achieve your best self. But we don't really talk about that today. What we talk about is something that he and I have conversed a lot about in the past, in recent in the recent past, I should say, and that is the toxicity of police culture. And the thing about toxicity is it's one of my favorite songs by System of a Down, but <laughs> also it's it's really bad. It really is. Something that I've seen from the outside looking in since I've left the road, but I still work in a police department, but I, I see it with different eyes. And, you know... I am on the same team, but I can see different things and I'm exposed to the police life so much using this platform and the Instagram. You know, I I see it a lot. I see how cops treat each other. I see how the public sees cops. I see how cops see the public. It's not good. It's really not. I think that we have a lot of room to work with or a lot of lot of work to do and and a lot of room to work with it. you know, community policing is a great idea. I don't think we do it well enough. I feel like, you know, something that Tom Rizzo says is, you know, when people said, yeah, we want our police to be better to our communities, suddenly cops are dancing and they're handing out snow cones and ice cream cones and they're posing in pictures. And the people in the communities are saying, no, we didn't want that at all. That's not what we said. And I feel like that's the arrogance of policing. So, and that, that comes from the ground level that goes all the way up to the chief, the sheriff, whoever your chief administrator is. It goes all the way up. It's it's bad. Police culture can be very toxic, but there's a lot of room for good. And so what Aaron and I are going to discuss in today's episode is what we can do to cancel the current police culture and improve it. Also, kind of this is a tie-in to the Robert Peel episode I did with Dave from the Hey My Man podcast uh, a few weeks ago, about a month ago now. So just listen to that because very similar com- conversations and topics that we talk about. And I think if you listen to both back to back, you'll really get an idea of how I see policing and how it can change. And I want to preface everything because one of the things I hate are guys that used to be cops getting on a microphone, getting on a platform and just bashing cops. And that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the law enforcement profession is one that I hold near and dear to my heart. It is in my bloodline. It is in my life. It, you know, I, I still work for a police department and I intend to continue to work for that police department for a long time. And, you know, I carry that part of my identity with pride. The problem is I think it goes a little bit too far where the job becomes our identity and we need to fix it. So that leads me to our intro segment today. One of the things that I hated when I was on the road was interacting with First Amendment or Second Amendment auditors or cop blockers or anything of that sort. If you're not a cop or you haven't experienced this, basically it's these guys that show up on scenes of calls. Sometimes they even like initiate this situation to kind of bait the police to doing something that they shouldn't do. And I hated interacting with these guys because, want to know why? Because I was an idiot and I was afraid I was going to step outside of my bounds and look like an idiot on YouTube for the world to see and thus get in trouble. And what I've noticed is 
I've watched a few of these videos, actually quite a few. I kind of got on a spree the other day on YouTube, and it's bad. Like, cops do not know the basics. Yes, it's very important to know your case laws and everything like that, but it's also important to know the basics of the basic Constitution. You know, you can't tell people, go away, you can't do that, when they're a thousand percent in their legal right. So, if you've never experienced a constitutional auditor, it can be very frustrating. I definitely suggest you go take a look at them. Cop blockers are a little bit different than a constitutional auditor, but they're in the same kind of realm. Now, while I was kind of going through this rabbit hole of listening and watching um, all these different videos of these different auditors, uh, basically, like, I'm trying to give you guys kind of the spark notes version not that many people know what spark notes are anymore but I'm trying to give you the spark notes edition of it a second amendment auditor will show up to an area where and and they're going to be legally carrying a gun in an open fashion they're legally doing it and they know it because they know more about the constitution than you do you almost can guarantee that and they are waiting for someone to see them with their rifle slung over their body and to call the police and then the police show up and there's like hey man you can't carry that here and the guy's like yeah you want to bet then they get baited and basically they have a constitutional lawsuit waiting to happen because the cops just gave it gave a lawful uh, i'm sorry an unlawful order to disarm when they were a thousand percent in their legal right a first amendment auditor is someone who will film where the police will say that they can't, but really they actually can. Um, they will basically stand on a street corner as you are working a scene or something, and they'll try to, like, you know, ask you questions or kind of kind of pick apart your stop. Or, like, one of the videos I saw was they were the police were making stops for equipment violations, and then the uh, police cars were experiencing equipment violations, and he was pointing out the hypocrisy there. Okay, so it's very nitpicky, right? It's very frustrating, and to be a cop, it, it's it's annoying. It's really annoying. But what I did find as I was going down this rabbit hole was a video that I can't show you because this is audio, but I'm going to show you the audio where a police sergeant confronted this guy who is an auditor and completely disarmed him in a legal way. Absolutely amazing, and I want you guys to listen to it, take note of it, and be like, Wow, so you're telling me that if we just talk to people like they're humans and explain and know the law and know what the hell we're talking about, well, then they have no fuel for their fire and then they're just going to go on their way. It's amazing. So check this out and then I'll, we'll wrap it up and then we'll go talk to Aaron. One second. Hey everybody, James Mattisnots here. We're taking a look at a video. Now when I heard the call come out over the radio, it was screaming, hollering, and yelling and they were trying to get a woman calmed down. So I decided to take a look at it and go see for myself what was going on. Now the police is going to have this whole road blocked off here because this is where the incident took place. And I walked down here after parking my car a safe distance away. Now I can hear the same female talking loudly here that I heard over the radio. And this is what all the screaming was over the radio. All right, so I want you to notice this gentleman here that's waving to What's me. Up, man? That is Sergeant I'm sorry, how Richie Marr. Now, she's been notorious for giving me trouble for filming. It came down from the chief where he actually threatened to have me removed off a sidewalk. Later apologized, and he understood what I was there for. Got on that fire call, though. Oh, I'm sorry. 
No, you're on a call. I don't mean to bug you. I said I think you were on the fire call with. The, I'm not a bug, brother. I'm a public, I'm a public servant. Oh, cool. Public, nice I appreciate. It. Nice to meet you. I said I think you were out in that fire call when those transients lit that uh, that fire over there behind uh, Popeyes or something like that about a couple weeks ago. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um, no, it's the same issue. But anyway, I just figured I'd come out here and check it out. I heard all the screaming over the radio. I'm like, good gosh. Yeah. So anyway. Use the scanner app. No, a lot of the viewers they just tell me where to go. So they're just, yeah. I'm live on, on channel. Oh, cool, very cool, man. Yeah, it's under James Madison Audits on there, so. Oh, okay, very cool. Yeah, man. So this is Officer Mather. Mather? Mark. M-A-H-E-R. Mark. It's Sergeant Richie Mark. Oh, Sergeant. Shoot, I didn't see the stripes no, there. No, and I didn't mean it like that. I just meant. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. So Sergeant Mark came up and said, you know, no worries, man, for bugging me. I'm a public servant. So talking to this sergeant here, his demeanor is extremely friendly and nice, and I actually confirmed with a couple fellow officers that he is that way. It's crazy. But it's, like I said, going out here, it's really interesting. My wife hates it. She's like, can you just get home? You used to work this crap, and now you're out, you're out there back again. I was like, yeah, we're understanding, man, because I'm still on the job, and my wife still is. Yeah. She wants me home. She wants you home. And after 13 years, she, she's, you know, me being on midnight, she gets old. Yeah, here, oh, especially, you know, you get through the ranks and get sergeant, and then, I mean, someone's got to do it on the night shift, but. I love it. I, I absolutely love yeah. it. I do, too. You I was get, in, you get the younger cops yep. where you get to mold them and bring them up and, and teach them things like I'm, I'm glad I actually ran into you because I like yeah. to teach them maybe once every three or four months. Right. We actually go over first and second and then the auditors yep. and how we should be conducting ourselves on a shift level training yeah. where we obviously with second number stuff we go over to fishing, camping, coming to or from. That's awesome. Uh, and that auditors truly, the majority of them, like you said, some can get loud with you at times, but they're truly putting a check on the government, which is an open yeah. thing to do. When you think about it, our whole nation was founded on a mistrust of government. Not right. our current government, right. but a previous government that we ended up saying, hey, we're wary of you, goodbye. Yeah, exactly. And at least on my ship, I see it in all my guys. Like, you saw the guy coming over and I feel like I'm okay. Yep, echo for you. And he sees your phone, so he's like, okay. Yeah. I was Sarge taught me about a couple months ago. So yeah. Sergeant's comfortable. He's not in any danger. And you know what? What's crazy about it is, uh, is if you can tell him it, most people, like I was telling you, most people that do this, had something happened to them, not necessarily from you, but it could be through uh, the police department, like what they did to me. Yeah. Threatened to arrest me in my front yard for filming. Be my wife was holding the camera. I wasn't. He And officer me says, turn around, put your hands behind your back. I'm like, really? So then there, therein lies and, and birthed James Madison on. That's beautiful though, man. It I've is. I've been of the mindset. I've always said, well, took me a while as a, as a young kid. I got hired very, very young. Yeah. But as I started to develop where I was as a cop, I always came up with the idea, and I've taught everybody this when I was a field training officer. It takes one bad incident with one cop stepping out to ruin someone on law enforcement for a very long time. For a long time. It's take 10,000 more very positive experiences to get that person to come back around and realize that it is truly a reality yeah. that makes mistakes. Yep. It was awesome to meet you, man. Very well. Go see what they got going. Thank you. Now, the sergeant, what he just told me here, was confirmed by another officer. Now, Sergeant Marr is also a hostage negotiator, and you're going to see in this picture right here that he successfully talked this woman down off the ledge with the assistance of these other officers here. But not only that, Sergeant Marr had saved a 51-year-old female by giving her CPR and saving her life. This guy is truly an awesome person. So I, I want you guys to listen to that and just kind of see and... Go back and listen to it again. Listen to it a couple times. And I've listened to it a couple times as I've kind of made this segment because I, I there's so much to take away from it. You know, you, you hear how the guy was disarmed. You know, this guy who shows up on these scenes to really 
poke the bear. You know, he wants an officer, and I've seen his videos, to come up to him and go, hey, man, you can't be here. You got to leave. Even though he says as he's approaching the scene that he parked far away, he's on the opposite side of the crime scene tape, you know, he does all the things right because he knows. He knows, you know, he's, he's baiting people to do something wrong because he knows what is right. Because as he said later in his, in his little segment that he has something happen to him. And I don't know if you guys caught it, but he's former law enforcement. He had something happen to him where he's like, all right, cops are out of control. We need to, I, I, you know, people figure out their why, man, whatever it is. I like talking to cops and making sure they're okay in the brain. He wants the world to know that. Cops are screwing up and we need to hold them accountable. And guess what? When I was on the road, I was like, fuck that guy or fuck guys like him. Now I'm like, cops need to be better, man. The law is literally your job. Ignorance is not an excuse. So then you look at how the sergeant responded to him. Flat out, just genuine and honest and friendly, friendly. It costs you zero dollars to be friendly to somebody. Guess what? The the first words out of the sergeant's mouth was, I'm a public servant. And that's what we said at Robert Peel, man. The police are the public. The public are the police. Okay? So, keep that in mind. Stop walking around like you got a chip on your shoulder and serve the public. Okay? And as you're going to hear this episode, you're going to hear in a few weeks when we do the leadership episode... That small minority of bad guys we deal with is not who you are working for. You are working for Jane Doe at 123 Main Street, the taxpayer, the one that wants you to be in her neighborhood and to patrol her streets because when her house gets broken into, she is going to call you to for you to save the day, okay? And that's how you should treat everybody, even the bad guys. But I, I'm so sick of cops and I was, you know, I'm guilty of it. Going to those calls and being anything less than sincere, professional, and appropriate. So, just things I want you to think about as we go and, and start this conversation with Aaron Lohman because it's what we talk about. We talk about fixing the culture within our departments and as we approach the outside as well. So, all that being said, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you want to check out more of those videos, go for it. I don't really, I don't like them. I don't, but that one was uh, substantial. It was significant. So feel free to check it out and uh, be a better cop. Be like the sergeant in that video and not like all the other chuckleheads that I've seen in that guy's other videos. So all that being said, here is my conversation with huge fat loser, Aaron Lohman. Check it out. Detroit players, Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. Dead right, if the head right, Biggie there, and I. Papa been school since days of under rules. Never lose, never choose to. Bruce Cruz, who do something to us? Talk go through us. Girls walk to us, wanna do us, screw us, who us? Yeah, Papa and Pop. Close like Starsky and Hutch, stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry M3. Bang every MC easily. Recently, niggas frontin' ain't saying nothing, so I just. Speak my peace, keep my peace, Cubans with the Jesus peace, with you. my peace, packing, asking who want it, you got it, nigga flaunt it, that Brooklyn bullshit, we on it. Speak my peace, 
biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me, and I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me, and I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so yeah, so you know, you think that they're going to prepare you for everything you're supposed to know in the academy and you're ready to be a cop. Well, they stuck me out there my first day. First day, girl comes out of the subway, looks at me and says, I got robbed. And I, for a minute, looked over my shoulder looking for the cops. And then I was like, oh, shit, I am the cops. This is day one. I better uh, figure out what the hell I got to do here real quick. You know, yeah. I laugh about that now, but, you know, it's funny. Yeah, it is. And I remember catching myself a lot of times going, man, this is a crazy scene. Someone should someone should call the police. Ah, shit, that's me. And now I got to I got to really figure out what I'm doing. Yeah. Or even you're like, oh, yeah, sucks whoever's job this is. And they're uh-huh. like, oh, shit, yeah, this is my yeah. job. Yeah. When I was getting ready, I think even before the Academy and I was like watching the news or something, and I I told my friend, I'm like, you know, every shitty news story it's going to involve me from here on out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. every bad event that happens. And that was more at the time that was like a, Hey, check me out. I'm going to be like all like knee deep in the shit. And then when you are knee deep in the shit, you're like, fuck, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's not all glitz and glamorous. And where's my metal. It's uh, it's actually some kind of hard work out here. And it's, it's, it's a weird realization. I think when you're, when you're finally like, Oh shit, this is, this is for real. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, they can tell you all they want in the academy, but until you set foot out there and you're actually doing it, there's nothing that can possibly prepare you for that situation ever. No, no, not at all. It's uh, definitely a different thing. And I mean, so we're talking totally different realms here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show today. Uh, we have my 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 guest today is Aaron Lohman. He is the huge fat loser. He is from NYPD. If you couldn't tell from his voice. And uh, big, big difference from your academy experience experience to what I experienced because little old town in Florida versus largest police agency probably in the world, um, big difference. So I, I need to know, and I'm sure my my listeners are curious, like what is the NYPD Academy like? How long was it? How intense was it? What was it like? Uh, since I was a soft, out of shape guy who never intended on being a cop ever, I had no idea what to expect. So for me, it was difficult. Some people who are in shape would tell you that it's easy, but for me, it, it was not easy. Uh, I never ran really a mile and a half in my entire life. I had to run figure out how to do that to pass the police academy. I wasn't one of these people who decided, you know, I wanted to be. I was one of these people who decided as a necessity to be a cop. I wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a dream of mine. Right. So for me, it was a little difficult. I think it runs the gamut. So it's uh, six months. You go in, you have to pass like a basic physical, psychological, take the test to go in. Then you go in. And at the time, uh, my agency was paying $25,000 a year. And uh, they were pretty desperate for applicants. And I was. I was anybody. So uh-huh. I, yeah. I signed up, I went in and uh, listen, the studying stuff was easy. The tests were easy. Uh, first time I shot a handgun, uh, a pistol, I was pretty good at it. If I shoot a 98, I get pissed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only, it's only happened twice in my police career. I shot a 98 at the range. Uh, most of the time I shoot a hundred mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had a lot of fun, but also it was definitely, definitely challenging at times for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. So I was very the same way. Um, you know, policing was always kind of an interest of mine, but it was never like, this is what I want my life to be. 
but out of necessity, I was 25, 24, 25. And I was like, I need some thing. I need some kind of career yeah. right now. Uh, and policing just happened to be the one that I could get to with the minimal education that I had, which was part of the frustrating point. Um, but the same thing, first time I shot a gun was on the police academy range. It took me a while. So when I decided to get in shape for the academy, because I was the same way, I was overweight. Um, I had just, I was recovering from gallbladder surgery. And one of the things the doctor told me was, Hey, you need to fix your diet. Like your gallbladder went to shit because you were eating like shit. And then I'll admit I totally was. And, um, you know, I was in my early twenties and kind of going into my mid twenties where like when I was 18 and I could eat like shit and it would be no issue. But then after a while, my body caught up to me. So I was like, all right, I need to eat better anyway. I might as well like start running and start lifting and whatever. Got a gym membership. And that was when I was like, you know what? I'm dealing with all this. Had some other ideas as well. Police Academy. Let's do it. And that was kind of it. Um, how many people were in your Academy class just for scaling purposes? Uh, a lot. I mean, I don't, know the, <laughs> I, I don't know the exact number. So I was 2006. My company was 66. So we were the July class. I think it started with like 50 and then there was like maybe like 25 or 20 companies of let's say 30 a piece, probably like mm. 700 people. I wow. would, I would, I would imagine. So yeah, like 700 people. That's crazy. And you guys were all just going at the same time. Yeah. So how it does is it rotates. There's obviously you're there for nine hours a day and they would rotate. Like you'd have your classroom instruction while another class had meal or, and then like half the other classes had gym. So you were in your gym block with like four other companies and then you were assigned to your regular instructor for the rest of the time where you're on meal or whatever it would be. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a major difference. So we had probably, um, so we were, we were, our Academy was built out of a community college structure. So, but it was in like an offshoot. So you had, uh, the police Academy, a fire Academy, EMS Academy, and then like HVAC and all those different schools were okay. in the same building. But we probably had at a given time, probably like two to three, depending on where it was, full-time academy classes running at the same time for police, for law, and then maybe one part-time class, depending on the time of year. So definitely nothing like what you're saying, but a little bit bigger than just the like one class thing that I've also heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. So when you're going into the police academy, now you said you went there out of necessity. What did you want to do growing up? What were you kind of gearing towards before policing i always wanted to be a filmmaker man i always wanted to make i always wanted to make movies i always wanted to do that stuff i learned how to edit movies in high school and Mm -hmm. i went to college for that for a short time but just became impractical to me like no like no offense to anybody out there who does like film um the classes just weren't for me you know uh i like to make cool movies that i enjoy that were entertaining and unfortunately, people in film school, they don't really uh, they don't, they don't like do a the lot entertaining of the, part. You know that scene in Family Guy where they show there's a scene where they show a film school project that's like a black and white like flashback. And there's like I think it's like uh, Lois is standing there with like a, her top like tied up. And then there's somebody else is like just it's a clown flapping a flapjack in the background. <laughs> that's the type of shit that they like yeah, in film school yeah, for real. Yeah, and like, yeah. I'm not into making shit like that. I'm into right. like entertaining, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mainstream movies. So that's, that's actually something that we have in common. When I graduated high school, that's what I went to school for was film. Mm. Uh, went to the university of Hartford in Connecticut for cinema studies. And okay. it was not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, 
it was more of film theory, which, you know, a major in film theory, what, what are you going to do with that? And again, I wanted to make movies and the movies I wanted to make, I was inspired by guys like Kevin Smith, you know, like yeah, funny, for sure. smart dialogue, things like that. And that was not what we were doing. Now I did learn a lot as far as film theory, we watched a lot of Alfred Hitchcock and a couple of things like that. They were great. And I learned a lot, but uh, money was the reason why I left. But at the uh, same time, I was <clears throat> at the same time, I was changing my major anyway, uh, because it wasn't what I thought it was. And Kevin Smith, who, like I said, I, he was my inspiration, was very big on saying, like, I dropped out of film school because I didn't need it. Like everything I wanted to do, I was going to learn by doing. Yeah. So for me, I left film school because of money, tried to go back, couldn't do it. And then uh, I played in a band for about a year and a half up in New Jersey um, and we kind of, kind of played all around the tri-state area up and down a little bit. And, um, it was like a ska punk band and, okay, um, cool. yeah. And we played pretty well. We did very well. And I was kind of in charge of promotion and booking shows. So, you know, working from the ground up and everything. When I, when I, when that fell to the wayside, cause of personal reasons, I thought for a second, all right, cause I, my family had moved down to Florida and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to full sale university which is a film school down here and i looked into it super expensive i couldn't afford it and then i was like you know what i i put in so much effort to get this band off the ground i don't want to do the same thing for film and i just kind of squashed the idea i still enjoy writing i still being creative i still enjoy being creative which is kind of why i do this stuff but i kind of said all right enough is enough with that years later then i came to the police academy again out of necessity so when you went into the police academy what was your idea of policing and the police and being the police and things like that? I, for real, had no idea, right? Okay. So growing up, I mean, not to bum anybody out, but I come from like a, a broken, abused home. Like I was an abused kid. So like my relationship with the cops wasn't the best. Yeah. Uh, I kind of have, I had an authority problem growing up, to be honest with you. So when I became, a, years later, my stepbrother, who was much older than me, was a police officer. And uh, he, he like 15 years older than me like that. So mm -hmm. like he was the first cop that I really met that I could relate to that was like a normal human being, you know? So based on that, he was my only person of contact. So when I told him that I was going to be a cop, instead of being like, oh, welcome to the club, buddy. He was like, you're going to fucking hate it. It's going <laughs> to be the worst thing ever. Okay. You're going to be miserable. So I was expecting literally like the worst experience ever, especially going into the police academy that I was absolutely going to hate it. So going in there with that expectation or like literally no expectations, yeah. Uh, anything good that happened, I was like, oh, well, you know what? Today was a good day. My <laughs> brother was wrong, you shit. know? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but I really had no clue what it was going to be like to be a cop at all, just from like obviously what you see on TV. Yeah. And okay. uh, obviously that's not realistic. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Yeah. And um, I think even going into it, you see a cop movie and you're like, there's no way that that's really – what happened like for me going into the police academy the big movie was end of watch which oddly uh -huh. enough is aside from the whole drug cartel part is pretty pretty close to being you know the the bullshitting in the car and things like that um yeah. but beyond that uh for me going into the police academy um i was stoked so i had talked to a couple people that had gone through it and they made it sound like it was the coolest shit ever you know driving the cars and the classes and someone showed me their curriculum and i was like all these classes sound so dope. And that's kind of how I rolled into it. So I was super optimistic about it. And uh -huh. going into it, I was, when I'm really into something, I will research the hell out of it. Like I will do everything I can. Like, what do I need to do to prepare? 
super nerdy, like ahead of time. So I found this one police um, forum. This is way back, like before Facebook really was. I know, I know exactly what forum you're looking at too. It was like police forums or some shit. Yeah, yeah, it was a very. And I, I would, I worked in a uh, in a call center. I would just read the forums hour after hour, and I was like getting so hyped on it. And then I went to the police academy, and it was not. It was okay, but it wasn't anywhere near as exciting as the the forum made it sound. Right. You know, for real. I I it, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was, mm-hmm. honestly. Yep. Now my academy, now this this blows everyone's mind when I bring it up. We didn't have a daily drill like where we had to run every day or fight every day or um we did do a formation for the pledge of allegiance and stuff like that, but it was super watered down. It was nothing like you know, the regiments that I see in like New Jersey academies or New York academies or things like that. It was very watered down. Mm-hmm. Was your, now your guys was strictly paramilitary. Well, yeah, it's paramilitary organization, but uh, it is every, you start out the day with muster, you out on the muster deck outside, no matter what the temperature is, they inspect you, they do the whole thing. And then like uh, when you go to gym class or physical tactics, the first half of that is like, you're running, doing calisthenics and they're like, you know, beating you down. I mean, it's a new academy now. It's a lot more spacious, yeah, sure. but the old one, I mean, that floor was just like permanently just like soaked <laughs> with the sweat of recruits for the last yeah, like yeah. 50 years, you know, the, the sweat and tears of recruits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ours wasn't like that. Ours was, like I said, it was built into a community college. So they kind of assigned the curriculum as such. Okay. So we had a month block of PT, a month block of DT, and they happened to coincide, but they didn't always. And that was just in like a workout room. And yes, there was, there was, you could go um, run around the track if you wanted to for that, that hour block, or you could go into the the gym room. And and basically we did um, P90X. They would put that on and you do P90X. I mean, that's tough. P90X. It is, it is. But here's the thing. They didn't stay on you on it. So like, if you wanted to loaf, you could loaf and that was kind of a detriment to the people. Like I was into it and I was paying my own way. So I was going to get the most out of it. So I did not that I was, I'm a super cop or anything like that, but I had more to lose because I spent my own actual money into it. Other guys or the guys that were like already hired, they didn't, they didn't really care as much as long as they passed it, then they got to keep what they had. Right. And that's how it works. That's how it works in Florida, right? You go to a program and then you try to seek hiring. Right. I think. Yes, um, there are some agencies, and it's becoming more and more now that staffing is such an issue, where they will pay you to go through the academy. Some places will even give you benefits through the academy. Oh, wow. okay. um, but for me, I was just private entry, paid my own way, okay, I got, got yeah. hired once I was in, um, yeah. or towards the end of my academy. Um, so that's basically how it is. Now, when I came out, I was ready for the thin blue line, the <laughs> the, the brotherhood. I was like... I was walking through the halls of my police department. I, I graduated the academy, and within a week, I was hired by the new agency as a civilian. But I was ready to walk through, and everyone would be like, wow, nice to see you, brother, blah, blah, blah. And then reality sunk in. As soon as my like body went through the threshold, it was like, that's not how it works. Yeah. I noticed that it's, you know, we talk about Blue Falcons, and it's you need to be, you need to prove yourself before anybody knows your name in a police department. Mm-hmm. And for a guy, I was not a military guy. I was not a police guy. I was just Joe Blow off the street. Last job was a call center. Like, I'm a nice guy. That was different. That was a different look than I was expecting. Yeah, they don't no, tell you about that. 
Yeah, no, me too. Like I, I was a bouncer. That's like the most, you know, job that I've had. Like, and at the time I was a landscaper, I had no idea what it was like to be a cop. And when I first came out, like I said, I was clueless until I met my first partner. We were assigned by alphabet to foot posts. So mm-hmm. I was L, I was Loman, he was K and we were next to each other. And he just got out of the Marine Corps. He, he run up, you know, he was a Marine sniper and he was like into it. I mean, now he's in emergency services, like, you know, which is our SWAT team. Okay. And like, he was really into it. So I was just like, all right, I'll do whatever you're doing. You seem like you have some idea what's going on. So I'll right. do what you want to do. And then I slowly started to get into it. And you're right about the proving yourself thing. And like, I don't even <clears throat> knock that as much, you know, like I'm not saying like nobody should be hazed or treated like shit or bullied or anything like that. But like, it should, you should go into any new experience. I don't care what it is. Uh, just with your head down a little bit, just willing to listen and yeah. experience. And listen, not only that, not only should should you do that from their perspective, from your perspective too. Like you don't want to go into a situation or a new command or a new precinct or a new job and just start palling up with the first person that you see because they could be doing the same the shit completely wrong. You got to sure. like scan your horizon and figure out who's who on your own. Yeah, absolutely. I just think um, you're, you're spot on with that. I think when I got in, so I, like I said, I was hired as a civilian for about six months before I got sworn in. And um, I had to work our front desk, take walk-ins, things like that, which is fine. That was good experience for me, you know, whatever. Um, but I tried to be friendly because I was just who I was. And I didn't, it wasn't as warmly received by the senior guys, Uh, not even senior guys, like guys I went to the Academy with that were now in training were already a little icy towards me. And I'm like, you guys sat right next to me like a month ago. What happened here? But it's that, you know, the, the pride thing or whatever. Um, Yes. And, and then once I got in, things started coming. It was, it was a, it was a slow climb to be comfortable at my agency and kind of feel like I belong. It definitely, it probably took me a good two to three years to be like, all right, I'm part of this team. And many times I was like, you know, maybe the, the, the famous infamous words that my field trainers always said to me was maybe this isn't for you. And that was like a knife in my stomach every single time because I was doing poorly because I was friendly. That was basically what happened because mm. I was friendly with people. I wasn't addicted to people on the street. They thought I was going to get walked all over and it ended up being, I just needed more training. It wasn't that I was pushover obviously, but um, it's just, it was an interesting transition from civilian how life. Fucked, how fucked up is it though? That listen, we all like every agency does that, right? They just because you're nice, nice, you're soft. They even supervisors, like mm-hmm. when it comes to like your supervisor value, oh, you're too nice to the guys or whatever. And it's like a negative mark. It's like, listen, there's a time to be nice. And there's a time not to be nice. You know, it's right. a famous roadhouse, you know, yeah, yeah. be nice until it's time not to be nice. You can be both things. You don't have to be a hard ass all the time. Right. And I think, and I think in order to be a good police officer and a good person, you have to be both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the way it was, I was always trying to deescalate situations. And from, I had, I had very minor teaching training, but I was always told like, if you yell, they yell louder. So I was mm-hmm. always the quiet guy because if you're a teacher and you got little kids, you start talking quiet. Then they yeah. get quiet because they want to hear what you're saying. So that was uh-huh. always my take. And my big tough FTOs were like, no, that's not how it works out here. You're gonna get you're gonna get your shit knocked in. But you know, and then, then I so for me, and my listeners probably heard the story on and off throughout the year and a half I've done this, but I I took a break from FTO. I was like, all right, I can't, I can't do it. Went through our reserve program for about a year, then went back through and I was I was fine. 
I just needed a little bit more, you know, marinating and then I was fine. So how was it there in New York city? You don't have a field training program, right? You go straight to a walking beat. Well, what happened? Well, okay. So things have changed drastically since okay. I was, when I was a rookie, I went to this thing called operation impact. It's obviously like world famous because they did away with it because uh, they said it, you know, racism, two fifties, all this, all this stuff. Uh, so they pretty much stuck us out on a foot post next to each other. And they're like, Hey kids, uh, we want this amount of co- arrests a month, this amount of summonses a month, uh, handle the jobs that are on your beat, go figure it out. You know? And we were assigned like one or two people for the entire tour. Like pretty much there'd be like 50 of us out on foot. And there'd be like one guy who was driving around, like if we needed help, mm-hmm. but it was like pretty much like, Hey kid, don't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. Type yeah. shit. And you I'm didn't want to bother me, but don't need me. Yeah. And not only that, but like you didn't want to bother him because you didn't want to seem like the whiny new kid who like really needed help and couldn't handle your own shit. You know what I mean? Right. So pretty much it was just you and a bunch of other people who didn't know what the fuck they were doing out on a foot post. Now they have uh, the FTO program where they come out of the academy and they get assigned to uh, it's two months of days, two months of four to twelves, two months of midnights. And Mm -hmm. then they get to I mean. Usually they get to choose where they want to go. I mean, but that's all dependent on staffing. But like, if you want to go to midnights, you're going to midnights, you know? <laughs> right. No one's going to stop you from going to midnights. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I went. I worked midnights pretty much my whole career up until uh, two years ago. Okay. Now, now where are you at? I work in the NYPD's health and wellness section. Okay. Okay. Very yeah. cool. So yeah. yeah, for us, it was a, um, so you do your six month Academy and then you go to FTO program, which is about, I want to say three months in-house, basically their own little academy, and then three months on the road. And then mm-hmm. when you pass all that, then you're a, you know, you're a full-fledged baby cop and go conquer the world. But you got like another year before you're off probation and, right. you know, you can finally like use the union the way it's supposed to be done, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. So how long have you been doing the job? Uh, over 15 years. Okay. Uh, ju- this year in July will be 16 years. Okay. So First off, congratulations years. to you. Thank you. It's a hell of a ride. You've definitely seen the the different tides, the the ups and downs, peaks and valleys, um, all the different uh, elements that have gone on through the world. My police life was basically George, no, I'm sorry, was Mike Brown to George Floyd, a little bit after. Okay. So that's okay. that was my understanding of the world. And so that's, that's, that's hell. Like that is not the policing I wanted to be a part of. Literally the Mike Brown incident happened the day we started the Academy. So it's, it was just day one. And the head instructor was like, you guys sure you want to be here, right? Like this is, this is the real world. This is what's happening. And everyone's talking about the pendulum and how things are going to swing back our way. And they like came just a little bit during COVID and then right back the opposite way. Yeah. So as you have had your career, it's a long career. It's been a, you know, you've done nights, you said up to two years ago. What are some of the trends you've seen change throughout that time? Uh, obviously, the whole way we do the job has changed. I mean, there's not a single, the only thing that really hasn't changed is like some of the individual relationships that you'll have on this job, but everything as far as policing itself has changed. Uh, how laws have changed. Obviously, bail reform law in the state is big. That That changed a lot of stuff. Uh, every unit that you that they're trying to bring back now in New York City, mm-hmm. I was in those units when they existed. Anti-crime, street narcotics, uh, the gang squad, all that stuff. And they're trying to bring back more of that, obviously, because violence is out of control. Uh, right. 
electronics. I mean, everything was written down on a pen and paper when I first got, and this is 15 years ago. And this happened up until five years ago. We used typewriters in my department. I don't know if wow. you guys, yeah, typewriters and typewriter ribbon. I had to buy my own typewriter and mm. typewriter ribbon. So a lot of technological advances for the good. Um, obviously, they actually started caring about giving us vests every couple of years. They used to not do that until mm. uh, it hit the, you know, the, the, the newspaper. But like literally, I don't think there's a single aspect of policing that hasn't changed. I mean, and this is what I try to tell people all the time, especially I, I, I teach the new recruits in the academy resilience. Yo, you got to ride the wave and uh, you can't get caught up on anything in the job at a certain moment in time. You can't be like, all right, this is what the job is. No, because tomorrow is going to change and you got to yeah. ride that wave or you're going to get burnt. You're going to get That's burned true. out thinking that you work in a job that no longer fucking exists. Yeah, you're that. That's great. That's great wisdom. I had um, a lot of people reach out to me. You know, being in Florida, we have some great leadership down here. Very public leadership. Let me put it that way. Grady Judd, obviously, big name that people know all around the world. Certain chiefs and here and there, and people are like, oh man, I want to work for this agency because this guy's here. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. He could retire next year, and then you're yes. with some new guy that has no idea he's going to change everything. Or if you're in a city. Everything's appointed, so the 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 chief can change whatever name they want to title they want to have. That can all change. Never, I tell people all the time, never sign up for an agency because of who's in the big chair, what color their car is, what their uniform looks like, what their patch is like. I was like, all that stuff doesn't matter, and it could change at a drop of a hat. You really need to identify the culture within that agency and that community more so the community now these days, I think, than the than the agency itself, and. See if that's what you want to be a part of. And I think I didn't get that in the beginning. When I got hired, it was literally, all right, who's going to who's going to pick me up first? That's where I'm going because I need a job. Yeah. If and then now I've I've switched agencies and the decision was based on culture. It was on location and culture. It was on all right, this is close to where I want to live and I know that it is built within this agency and this city to take care of their police officers. They care about it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I, t- I tell my cops, uh, like the, especially the recruits. They're like, oh, what do you think about this command? What do you think about that command? I'm like everything and every command changes. Like pick something that is relatively close to home to make your commute and your regular life outside the job better. Right. That's number one. And then choose, do I want to be busy or do I not want to be busy? You know, and that's it. Anything in between there and try your best. Yeah, absolutely. I think. And this has been a an ongoing topic when I have these conversations, especially the past few months, is that we abdo- adopt the police life as our way of life. Hmm. You know, where people are looking when they when they're like, "Oh, well, what's this command like? What's this agency like? What's this unit like?" It's like, all right, but what? It, how does it impact you as a person? Like, I had a I had a conversation yesterday. And I said, hey, man, you know, tell us about yourself, whatever. And he told me everything besides his job information, which is typically what people give me. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm not Kevin, the dispatcher. I'm Kevin. And this is what I enjoy doing, you know, and I've 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 said very frequently your your profession is not your personality trait. And what you said as far as, you know, figure out the command that's good for your commute, good for your family life. I mean, that's just spot on. Yo, man, when you talk about not identifying as the job, you're just speaking my language right now, man. Yeah. Like, uh, I think what we see on social media, especially with cops, is like they they identify way too hard as their job. And when you do that, and listen, I did it. 
All right. So I'm speaking from experience. Yep, when, likewise, whenever, I t- yeah. whenever I talk about this, like I'm speaking to it from experience. And it was the type of thing where like I identified as a job so much that I was constantly just like going from arrest to arrest to arrest. I wanted to be in this unit. I wanted to be in that unit. I wanted to do all this shit, you know, thin blue line, fucking Punisher skulls, all this shit, man. I was all about it. You know what I mean? Yep. And then it comes to a point where I identify with the job so much that I had no true identity. I didn't know who I was. I was lost. I was like losing myself in it because mm-hmm. of like, you know, anger and depression issues and all sorts of shit. And then all of a sudden I got in trouble at work and they took my gun and shield from me. And it was like, they took my whole identity from me. Yeah. Now what the fuck am I going to do? And that led to me down a real dark path where like, I was literally having suicidal ideations over like my career is over. My life is over. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, none of that stuff is real. And it all comes from us identifying as our career path. Right. When it's not our identity trait, like, Listen, it should be a part of who you are. For sure, sure, sure. But it shouldn't be the whole package. Like, and if you, if people were confident, especially cops and who they were as individuals, they wouldn't let half of this shit that we see on social media, like somebody talking shit about the cops, bother us. Like, who gives a fuck? Who cares? Right. Like, let them talk. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, you're, I mean, absolutely. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I think I, I was trying to think when you were saying it, where it comes from. I think it comes from people talking shit about the police, right? Yes. And like, People take it to, to heart. You know, this is, here's the thing. And I, I get in this debate with people. People start to get pissy at me where I say, <laughs> all right, yes, the, to, to decide to be a police officer or any kind of first responder is definitely a calling, if you want to call it that, because not everybody wants to do it, right? It takes a special kind of biology in your brain to do these jobs. Absolutely. Okay. But at the end of the day, they are just jobs, right? Like you're not. I gonna, agree. <laughs> you're not going to have Bob the accountant, you know, wear you know accountant pride T-shirts on his day off, and when he's flipping burgers, being like, "Hey, dude, look at this cool accountant video." No, because it's just it. We're we're the only ones that do it. So what I think happens is we have this pride because, like, oh man, I'm 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 the chosen one because I I'm this is my calling. Then people start talking shit about it. So now we have to up the ante and be like, no, you know thin blue line rah, 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 to the point where it start it, it, it envelops our entire life and then we lose ourselves because of it not only that when we start doing that we start isolating everybody who isn't like us yes and nobody wants to be around us except other cops and then yes. we start to develop this attitude where well the only people who understand me are cops it's like it's a lot of it is our fault we push these people away and don't want yes. to hear it from yes. anybody else between the you know, isolation and the echo yes. chamber that we keep ourselves in oh yeah man Listen, just, the echo chamber is huge absolutely and and that's so just uh this past sunday was the super bowl and i i admit i got a little pissy over the super bowl i just don't like the nfl here's the thing okay i'm with it I, fine yeah everybody has their own right to like and to not like right. shit you right. know like so but there are so many people out there you know, they talk about cancel culture, right? Because, like, everything that doesn't align with mainstream media, they start canceling it for whatever reason. Yeah. Cops have the exact same thing. And if they say that they don't, they're a bunch of liars. That's Yo. why people don't wear Under Armour or Nike or this, because because they Yo. support it some athlete. You ready? I'm going to say this right now. Yeah. Cops are some of the biggest snowflakes on earth. And oh, you can absolutely. Quote me on that. Yeah. Right? I, call, I call them cop flakes, man. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, but, like... No. As for a quote-unquote warrior sheepdog culture <laughs> that holds ourselves to this high regard, like we are some sensitive little bitches. Like, I gotta tell you, <laughs> like it's it's unbelievable. Like it, we get yeah. triggered and mad about everything. Yep. Like real warriors, like real people who are confident in who they are and know that they're what their cause is and quote-unquote their calling is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a calling for some people, but not for everybody. Sure. Like if they were really confident in that, 
They wouldn't give a fuck about any of this right, shit. We sure. would just slide off their back. Like I, you got to let shit go. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And a and a real warrior, if you want to call it that, doesn't care what the mob says. And that's yes. what you know. I've got right on my wall over there. I have the man in the arena by Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, yes. And and he talks about just that. It's not the critic that matters. It's the man in the arena. That's the entire point. And you know, and I've I've quoted the the man in the arena, and I've quoted a bunch of other things, trying to get people to think like, "Hey, worry about you. Don't worry about whatever else everyone else is doing." And I try to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we just get so butthurt over all these different things. And yes, I don't like the public and mainstream media supporting of the anti cop narrative because it's no, obvious- of course not. Right, no, right. Hell no. And. So yes, so that's why I don't I don't support the NFL or Ben and Jerry's or LeBron James because they perpetuate that and they support that and they're very vocal about it. Listen, I never liked LeBron, LeBron James' personality. Neither did I. Neither did after I. he did that whole thing on ESPN where he had to announce where he was going, like who gives, dude? Like you're not special. Like right. I, yeah. I mean, I mean you are because you're an athlete or whatever. But like Michael Jordan wouldn't do some shit like that. That's just no. that's just my personal opinion from an athletic standpoint. The NFL, yo, I used to be the biggest Jets fan ever. This is how big of a Jets fan I am. All right. Uh, at my wedding, I made a Jets themed entrance, and all my table numbers were Jets players uniforms. Oh, that's, okay? that's clever. That's clever. But since I started working out and like taking care of myself and prioritizing myself and my family and other things that matter, mm-hmm. I stopped watching the NFL. And then this, so this shit doesn't even fucking, I don't even know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I watched the Super Bowl for the commercials and the halftime show because I'm a big hip hop fan, but. That's it, man. I, I I don't fucking I don't care. I'm not buying right. NFL merchandise. I'm not doing any of that shit. You know. Yeah. Like, and you know, I was thinking, yeah, it's the same same for me. The only jersey I almost bought a few months ago was the Pat Tillman uh, mm. Arizona Cardinals jersey. I almost bought right. that, but then I didn't because uh, it was just too expensive. I can't. I couldn't Yo, justify. There's so much money, dude. Yeah. So much money. I couldn't these days. justify <laughs> wearing. Uh, first off, being a grown man wearing a jersey, I kind of got a thing about that. And, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> and then, like you know, to, for for it to hang in my closet was just a waste of money. But yeah, and you know, I made a little kerfuffle about the halftime show because I was. It was produced by Jay Z. You know, he's kind of anti cop too. Obviously. Obviously, Dr. Dre and Snoop Bar. I was like, all right, they're going to do something political. And that's that's what gets me. I don't want the politics. Right, right, right. Give me your art. Shut up about politics. Yeah. And then when everyone was messaging me like, nah, dude, it was actually really good. I looked it up on YouTube. I was like, all right, I could, I should have I should have watched it. But it was good. And I'm, I'm going to be first nah, one to say it was good, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, listen, if they would have done something political, I would have been pissed off, too. And, like, yeah. I don't want to give the impression that this stuff doesn't annoy me because it fucking annoys me. Like, it, it pisses me off. But at the end of the day, I, I and all of us have to have the emotional intelligence to realize that, yeah, this shit pisses me off, but what the fuck can I do about it? Yes. And I'm telling you right yeah. now, screaming into the echo chamber of social media about how pissed off you are, ain't doing shit. Sharing something that pisses you off to somebody else to piss them off, ain't doing shit. It's just yes. making everybody else more pissed off. Absolutely. That's that's key. That's so important. I made a post, probably one of the first podcast episodes I did and I was bashing the echo chamber. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, because we isolate ourselves, like you said, to the point where all we're talking to is people that have the same ideas. And there is no growth in that. There is no growth in having the same argument coming back at you time after time and time. And I'm intelligent enough. I like to think I'm intelligent enough that if you come to me with a valid, logical response to something, I'm going to go, 
oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. The let's take the halftime show for example. Like if I was an ignorant fucker, I would have been like, nope. Uh, it's I I saw the new lyrics to the Snoop Dogg song. It's all about killing cops. Fuck that guy. Right. And then, you know, that's just what I'm getting at. Like if I was just ignorant about it, but then no, I took feedback and they said no. Actually, it was just their their popular songs and they made a good performance about it. Great. Like <laughs> cool. I'm good. Like I changed my opinion and that's Mm -hmm. how easy it is. Yeah, it really is that easy. And you have to take feedback from people. And what I do is what I've done for the last couple of years, right? If somebody like decides they're going to comment to me on my, in my social media or whatever it is, what I will do is I don't engage people in comments because then what happens is, is like, it's like fighting in front of people, right? It's like the public is watching. So now your ego gets involved. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is I'll DM them. And I'll have a civil conversation via DM when egos aren't involved. And usually, most of the time, you are able to have a civil conversation and at least right. come to a disagreement. And then if they don't answer you or they're dicks, I just block them. Fuck them. Yeah, of them, course. You know? Of course. And and that's that's the other side of it, right? That's the other ignorant aspect. But you can't fight ignorance with ignorance and no expect way. anybody to win. It's like yep. playing chess with a pigeon, right? I think that's how the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah. It's like playing chess with a pig- pigeon. You know, the, the board's going to be covered in shit and the pigeon's still going to be walking around thinking it won. And that's that's what it comes down to. And I have no time for that. You know, no, I, I, I have I have a family life. I have personal things. I have friends that, mm-hmm. you know, you got rid of my social media tomorrow. It would suck because I kind of have like a mini business on it right now. Yeah. But I'd be okay. Like I have right, a living. Yeah. I have I have people that care about me that are not on my phone. And mm-hmm. that's that. Yep. And. You know, a few months ago when I when I stepped away from the job and and now I'm working in dispatch, I had the same thing you said. I had such an identity crisis where I spent all this time, money, effort, blood, sweat and tears into this job, into this uniform. And I was like, well, now what? I was I was upset because it took my livelihood away. Like I was worried that I was going to lose money and, and not be able to provide. And then I was like, well, what do I do? Like all all I learned for six plus years was how to be the cops and now it was gone mm-hmm. and now i'm fine you know it took time right. to to do honestly that. i think everybody needs to go through that like when i went through that and i realized how much more and listen for ever all the cops out there listening man like listen it, it was important for me to do that because i guarantee you right now if i didn't go through that trans transition where i realized what i was doing to myself identifying as a job not taking care of myself and i was wasn't forced to go through that depression I would be dead 100% either by suicide or I would have had a fucking heart attack. hundred percent. It was important to do that, to grow in our darkest hours. We really find the light and we come through and I'm not a super religious guy, but I am a philosophical and resilient guy. And I just, you know, what you said about like, what, what can I do about things that are affecting me? That, that, that aligns with like stoic philosophy, which I'm very into. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. That's, it's a practice, right? Cause I'm not good at it. I have it. I have days where I'm just the exact opposite of a stoic. I am just down on myself and everything, everything bothers me, but you know, you come back to it on a good day and you're like, all right, let me, I got to work on that and be a little bit better at it. It's all about work. You're never going to be perfect. That's the whole thing. You know? Yeah. That's where we kind of all need to be. And whatever your belief system is, I think whether it is, you know, religion philosophy whatever it is they all kind of go with the same thing right it's like believing in for for stoics is yourself and your brain or whatever and just driving towards that greater good to that greater goal don't i was thinking about this today actually as i was driving into work i was like 
think about the worst thing that happened to you on this day five years ago. Now, aside from like a death of a family member, which is probably like one in a million chance, it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to be able to remember it. You know, it's, yeah. it's so fleeting and so, so unimportant. And I think we just get so caught in the moment of our, of our own misery. Yep. That's what brings us to so many bad, bad places. No, it really does. And then we ruminate on it and just think about it constantly. And then like we connect everything else in our worldview to that thing that yes. just spir- it, it spirals. Trust me. I was the guy who was sp- the spiraling guy. I, I was the most miserable motherfucker you could possibly ever, ever imagine. Right. I, that's why when I talk all this shit that I talk, like I'm, I'm coming from a place where, listen, I was yeah. there. I know it. All right. You can dig yourself out. You don't need to be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I'm sure, and, and just to kind of preface it, I'm sure you still have bad days, right? Oh, hell yeah, man. Of course. It's it's a practice. It's a personal practice, but it's also like a personal message to yourself saying like, all right, this is my path. This is where I want to go. And you start another another writer I listen to, you know, you develop your why. Why do I keep putting myself through this? And there there is an end goal. There is something that makes you, and, and the idea with it is you're not going to actually reach that end goal, but the process of getting there is going to be the fulfillment, the reward, and all that good stuff that makes a great life. Yeah. I mean, the self-discovery along the path to what you want to do is what, what really makes a good life. You right. know, you may never reach your goal. The goal is not the goal. The goal is really honestly the journey. Yes. <clears throat> another another uh, kind of motivational quote I found was like, say you're training for a marathon and you're training, you're training, you're working really hard. But the moment the race actually starts, you go the wrong way. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't matter if you don't, if you put the effort in, that's great. But if you're going the wrong direction, you're going to, you know, so you need to really focus on what you're putting your effort into. Yes. And that's where we get into this, this counterproductive culture. And, and our mindset, I think is that, you know, we, we kind of, we start taking away from what we're trying to build. You know, we talk about like cops being morally superior. Obviously we're supposed to be the, beacons of right and wrong, you know, good and evil, whatever kind of dichotomy you want to talk about. And then we look at ourselves, like, are we running the wrong way in this marathon or or what? I mean, are we- sometimes we definitely, definitely are, man. I mean, you and I both know it. Like yeah. it's the culture of this is sometimes mind blowing. It is. And unfortunately, you know, we get back on social media Social media, I think, is great for networking, like like you and I. But there's so much negative to it because you get caught in that echo chamber. Let's talk about like any any negative coping mechanism, right? Because all of our all of our wrong ways on this marathon of life is a coping mechanism, obviously, for something that we're dealing with and we're dealing right. with it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And it's almost to the point of like supported on social media, like the, yeah. The, the idea that that's popping in my head, which is kind of like low hanging fruit is like promiscuity, right? That's a big deal in law enforcement. Everyone's got the joke about like, Oh, how many wives are you on? Or how many, you know, nurses have you, whatever the joke you want to make is. And me and my memes, I'm kind of guilty of it as well, but we, we got to stop. Like I I was thinking about it. Like, I don't know. I, I, it frustrates me. It's like, why don't you say those nice things to your wife? Who's like in the room next to you. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, honestly. And uh, like I said, all this, all these negative coping mechanisms are glorified instead of holding each other to a standard. 
I mean, because it's awkward to be like, yo, dude, no, uh, you're fucking up. Like, you don't want to tell somebody, especially with the peer pressure that's involved in policing. Like you said, you walk in the door, you feel awkward. You don't want to feel out of place. You don't want to tell somebody anything. And it, that honestly, that continues on for a, a while, like pretty much yeah. forever. Yeah. You don't want to be the cop that stands out. You know what I mean? Uh, you're taught to blend in, fit in and whatever else. Like I slowly learned just to not give a fuck and be myself and say what I got to say and whatever. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, either way, I thank you if you love it. If you don't, I really don't fucking care. But at the same time, like you have to just, you, you got to be yourself. It's hard, but uh, you have to have those conversations with people and hold them to a higher standard. And I guarantee you, if we did that, Cops would be a lot better off. They'd be a lot healthier. They'd have a lot healthier marriages. They'd have better coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. They'd work yeah. out more. They'd live longer. They would commit less suicide. One hundred percent. Yeah, and that, at the very most, at the very least, I should say, because of that, like accountability, it shows that well, I'm not alone in this. You know, yes. like if if you let's we'll take another way, like overeating, like eating in unhealthy, and I know that's a big deal for you. Let's say you've got a guy and every single shift, he is just grabbing the greasiest fast food burger. And you start mm. seeing that like, Hey, he's not running after people, whatever it might be. And you go like, Hey Jimmy, like you, you want to like go work out. You want to go do something like, yeah, it might be embarrassing. He might like, you know, have a little bit of hurt pride, but at the end of the day, Jimmy's going to go, wait a second. This dude over here cared about what I was doing. Maybe I'm not alone in this. Maybe it's called friendship. Like it's called relationship building. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, hundred percent. And listen, the whole time I was fat and overweight, like fat, pe- like fat people, or whatever. I, I will say that's not sensitive. I'm saying I was fat. All right. Uh, we know that we're fucking up. All right. There's no, like, we know what the hell is going on. All right. We know, we just don't know how to get out of it. And we think it's impossible. So the second you reach out an olive branch, you know, I might take you up on it. Even when I was out of shape, like I've had partners over the years, who were like, yo, come down to the gym and work out. And I would start to work out for a couple months and then shit would happen and I'd fall off. But you know what? I did work out with them and I did, you know, try to eat better and try to do those things throughout the years. And like that helps. That extending that olive branch helps a lot, Absolutely. especially when it comes to peer support uh, for mental health too. Like, yo, you got to show people you fucking care about them. Uh, you can't just be like, reach out, reach out if you're thinking bad. No, nobody's going to fucking reach out. You got to reach out to these people and be like, yo, listen, I care about you. I just listen. It's awkward as fuck, bro. But you got to be like, oh, I care about you, man. Listen, I just want to let you know, listen, I care about you. You don't know what the fuck somebody's going through. You know, another thing that we do while we're on it is, um, you know, if you're talking shit about how fucked up somebody is, uh, whether that be their mental health or physical health to somebody else, that person could be going through some shit too. And now that person don't want to come talk to you. Yeah. Okay. So you got to be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real. And we, I mean, cops gossip worse than little girls. And (laughs) it's like, you know, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. We're all, we all are guilty of of it. We're all guilty of it. Okay. We're all guilty of it. And it's just like, you're right. You, you don't know what this person might be dealing with. And now you've sent them further down in the hole because, well, who's going to talk about what I'm going through. Right. Exactly. Now they're not going to come to you. You were their best friend. You were their partner in a car. He just partner in the, in the patrol car. And now you just talk shit about some other guy. You called him a fucking crazy person and all this shit. Yo, so-and-so's fucked up. Right. And then now they're going through some shit. Now they don't want to tell you. Yeah. And that's the number one factor why cops don't seek help. They think it's because, you know, a lot of people think it's because of admin and all this stuff, which has its own issues for sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. And a lot of agencies, but the number one reason is because they're scared of what other cops will think about. Absolutely. Them. Absolutely. And now I'm, um, we'll go full transparency. So 
I started a new agency six months ago, had a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on uh, before joining the agency and, you know, I'm still dealing with it right now. And the, uh, just not too long ago, probably a week or two ago, I uh, kind of got into a, a bad rut dealing with uh, kind of processing my own mental stuff. And someone reached out to me and, from my agency and was like, hey, you know, I noticed you're acting a little different. You good? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm my worst. I, I'm terrible at taking my own advice. But I was like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, my reaction to that, my reasoning for that was, well, I'm the new guy. I don't want them to take my story and start passing it around suddenly oh the new guy's crazy the yeah. new guy's got issues yep and i know that's not the case like now i'm thinking logically like no you know this person reached out but those are just all mental roadblocks that we have to kind of co- overcome and that's how we gain trust with people and that's how we we get better yeah admitting especially in a career like policing where you might have fucking feelings you know is like <laughs> it's crazy right you know you're scared of what other people will think about you and like you you can't be and the truth of the matter is and i say this about like new people who go into the gym too they're scared of the gym or what are they gonna think about me at the gym you know they're not even fucking thinking about you and the yeah. truth is they're more likely to help you mm-hmm. and the same thing is for the people with you in your patrol car like trust me they give a shit they're we're just really fucking bad at showing each other that we care we do care yeah, all right yeah. but we're just really fucking terrible at it yeah absolutely i i couldn't have said it better myself we <laughs> for people that are really supposed to be helpful and you know proactive and and uh insightful and observant we're really bad when it comes to like our own circle our own tribe we're kind of we're kind of aloof about it and it's very frustrating because when you look at it like now i'm looking at it from the outside in because I, i'm still in a police department but i'm not in the patrol car and you start seeing the different ways that people interact and everything, especially through the meme page and the podcast, I'm I'm seeing it all over the country. It's the exact same thing. It's like, right. We need to break this down and we need to be more vocal about it. And it's great that mental health is starting to become more of a talking issue, yeah. but we need to get better at it still. Cause like, yeah, it's one thing for admin or, or whoever your liaison is to be like, all right, you know, reach out, blah, 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 blah but you have to promote the culture too. You can't just say it. You can't, you know, don't, don't talk about it. Be about it. Yeah. We have to lift each other up at the end of the day. And uh, what we delve into, you know, what we always go back to the drinking, the infidelity, the gambling, the tobacco use, like all this bad shit, like fucking pounding 25 energy drinks on midnight, whatever the hell else we do. Listen, I'm, I'm a victim of drinking too much caffeine myself, but you know, those negative things. And we just look at it as normalized Mm -hmm. and we embrace it. You know, you're more likely to get made fun of for bringing your own lunch to work than for banging a side piece yes. when you're married. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's what's fucked up. That's where we need to start this shift change and start looking at each other to, we want us to be better. We want our, you know, we, we care about each other, right? Like I said, but in order for us to really show each other we care about it, we really just need, care about each other. We really need to hold each other to a higher standard. Yeah. If you cared about somebody, you would do that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like that's just yeah. what we need to do. And I get tired all the time whenever I see there's this one meme that's been going around for fucking 10 years. All right. It's like by the time you hit 15 years as a cop, you should have back pain. You should have three wives. You should have fucking a divorce and alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. All this shit. Like 
no, you should not have any of those fucking any things. Any of those okay? things. Right. <laughs> you know, and the fact that we just let it be so commonplace and only that we embrace it and encourage it. We encourage binge drinking. Uh, we encourage our culture, police culture and first responder culture in general is literally just based upon fucking places where you can drink. Like every social gathering is just like, hey, we're going to go. And it's not just like a casual drink. It's like, hey, guys, we're going to go shit face today. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it's it's so fucking bad. And you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah, oh, and then cops is. and then cops get arrested for DWI and domestic violence all the time because of either alcohol and this embraced behavior. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. And it's just you look not at, fucking good, man. You look at any of those coping mechanisms, the drinking or, or whatever, and that's the downfall of that person. Like yes. it's not it's nothing else, you know, it's not like, you know, they're going to come onto this murderous rampage or something crazy like that. No, they're, they're going to drink too much. It's going to spoil their home life. Yes. Something's going to happen. And I've seen time and time again, police officers get, or now they're former police officers, which is proving my point, lose their jobs, lose their livelihood, lose their families because they let in, in the cases I'm thinking of, addiction get to them you know addiction of alcohol obviously that's the biggest one but i think of southland you know pain pills is another big one oh big Uh, time you know it's you think of all these different things and it's just you whittle away to nothing meanwhile now obviously a traumatic injury can't avoid that 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 is part of the job of course but if you start now, if you're healthy right now and you start right now, like, all right, I'm going to work on healthy, healthy coping mechanisms and building my resiliency. Then when that bad day happens, you're ahead of the game. We, we always talk about being proactive and like knowing how we're going to stop cars and everything. Be proactive with yourself and your health and your mental health. So that way, when the bad day comes, you're ready. Yo, bro, this is exactly what I teach the recruits. And this is what I teach at resilience training all the time to other cops. And I'll have other co- a lot of people grumble, but what the fuck does it have to do with me being a cop? This isn't going to stop me from committing suicide. No, dude. It's giving you the fucking tools to deal with your own shit so it doesn't get to that level. Right. You know what I mean? Like I always say about myself, nobody goes 10 years. Nobody swears in. We swear in at Brooklyn College. Nobody swears in at Brooklyn College and goes, hey, you know what? 10 years from now, I'm going to think about killing myself. No, it doesn't fucking work that way. Mm-hmm. Right? We had shit that we dealt with before we were a cop. We have shit that we deal with when we're a cop. These things fucking build up slowly, and we don't learn how to manage those things. They manage, they manifest themselves into having too much to drink, pain pills, all this shit, all this negative behavior. And mm-hmm. if when you're immersed in a culture that embraces that, yes. it's a recipe for fucking disaster. Absolutely. And you are going to tear yourself apart. I, I couldn't agree more. And I just want to say, I want to throw it out there that there is nothing wrong with having a drink or two drinks or three drinks. There's nothing I have wrong. Two, I, I, have, I have two or three beers every Friday night. Yeah, that's perfectly yeah. fine. I'm having, I'm having a drink on my Friday right now. Yes. There is nothing wrong with, Hey, if you're single, having a girlfriend, good, good for you. There's nothing wrong right. with gambling. It's when it becomes obsessive and you just do too much of it. That's yes. where the problem lies. And that's where we dig mm. this hole. And, you know, like I said, I've seen, I've seen it firsthand. You know, cops take their lives. I've seen it, been a part of it. It's terrible. It's one of the things that I'm still dealing with to today. And that's why I'm so big and passionate about all this is because I don't want to be a part of it again. You know what I mean? I don't want right. to bury another friend. I agree. I, I agree with you 100%, man. And yeah. uh, I, I deal with it a lot too. It's a lot, a big part of what I do in my section. And I've had friends of mine kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you firsthand from the people I've talked to, um, People I've, uh, friends of mine that I've experienced in my own personal life, 
it did not just one day happen right. that they thought they were going to kill themselves. It, yeah. it never does. There's signs that we ignore, but that are embraced by our culture as normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for the regular population, they would not be normal. But we embrace it and we enable it instead of just saying, hey, bro, maybe you should, uh, you know, like, uh, I'll take you to get help, you know, yeah, or whatever. Like maybe, maybe we shouldn't be at the bar tonight. Maybe we should go yes. somewhere else, something like that. And I'm, I look at my, my bookshelf here and I've got right here. I haven't opened it yet, but choir, pra- or choir boys by Joseph Wambaugh, old book from the 1970s LAPD. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new guys. Like if you read this book, it's all about these crazy in- adventures that they had back in choir practice where the LAPD, they were, they were getting in fights and they were racing and, you know, uh, all these just different negative things. Cause they would go out to have like a Friday night drink with the, the people on their squad. And before you know it, there is uh, they shared a pre-dawn drink and sex sessions that they called choir practice. And it's just the der- terrifying secrets of the night watch. Like, I mean, this is from the seventies and it's yeah. the same. Look, shit you, know, we're di- you know, what's fucked up though is I guarantee there's people listening to this podcast right now saying, yo, that sounds fucking awesome, bro. That right. sounds awesome. I wish it was still like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and they don't the realize that it's it's so detrimental to everything. And we wonder why police get a bad rap and a bad look from the uh from the public's view. It's like, well, why don't we start holding ourselves up just a little bit better to a higher standard? Right. Like exactly. for me, in my eyes, right, a police officer is like a superhero. Well, why do we have Homer Simpson over here it, wearing wearing a, a uniform? Like, tighten it up, man! Like, yeah. When and again, I wasn't always that that way, and I, I'm not right now. But that's a different story. Um, but I remember sitting in briefing one day, and my sergeant going, "You know, guys, you got to challenge yourself. If you can't run a mile, a mile and a half at a given moment, tighten up." And I, that was all I needed to hear. And I was like, "Yep." And I went to the gym every single day until I had a good time on my mile and a half. And at the time that was a very big, important investment to me because your life is going to count on it. Your buddy's life is going to count on it. And not only that, but your buddy's family's life counts on that. So not, not only that, do something else too. Like just do something physical in the gym. Like people don't realize how much of like, yeah, I had a crazy weight loss transformation, but most of my mental transformation came from working out Mm -hmm. and like feeling good about myself and feeling confident and getting those positive endorphins flowing. Like there's, there's so much to be said about getting physical. I don't care what it is the fuck you do. If you like to run, looks you're crazy. Good for you. But (laughs) I don't, you know, if you like to lift weights, do CrossFit, whatever, but fucking do something, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, jujitsu is big now and that's good. That too. That's going to get out some aggression with you too. You know, Mm -hmm. and I've tried a whole bunch of things and, you know, and, and, you know, you may say weightlifting. I may say CrossFit. Someone else may say jujitsu. Try them all out. I mean, eventually no. you'll find what's good for you. And, and it may be multiple things, but try them out. It may be yoga. Who knows? Just keep yeah, going. Yoga is good too. Yo, I do yoga sometimes too. I still we haven't gotten it. into it, but it's it's on my list. I got I to gotta try it out. Yeah. Listen, it's good. Uh, it, in addition to me lifting weights, I, I enjoy doing it. Like, yo, check it out. Meditation even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Listen, yo. Let me tell you something. If fucking David Goggins and Jocko <laughs> could meditate and do yoga, you could fucking do it too. Absolutely. Okay? It doesn't absolutely. make you a pussy. No, absolutely not. And I said, I said, you know, Rogan's is all about hot yeah. yoga. That means I got to try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it's good for Rogan, it's good for me, right? No, that's what I'm saying. Like he's brought meditation and yoga and all this fucking spiritual shit to a lot of guys that would not have been exposed to it, man. Yes. And like he's done a lot of good, a lot of good in that regards for real. I agree. 
All right, Aaron, we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to dive into the listener and the Instagram questions. Hell yeah, uh, let's do this. First one, my bu- my buddy Nick, he says uh, that you're his guy and you keep it 100. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. How do you make time for fitness and health when you're on a night shift schedule? All right. Here's what I used to do. Um, I worked midnights pretty much my entire career as a sergeant and uh, entire career as a cop for the most part. And what I would do is I would go before work. Okay. And this is what I recommend if you can. Right. And the reason that is, is because we are cops. If you tell yourself you're going to go after work and some shit happens during your shift, you ain't fucking going. Yeah. You right? find and every excuse it. not to. And that's going to break your behavior pattern. And that's when starting a gym routine or a, a, you know, any type of fitness routine or an eating routine, it's about habit forming. So even if you go to the gym for a half an hour a day before your shift and build it out, that's a lot better because you'll be more consistent, mm-hmm. right? I used to go before my shift every time, every time, and then, I, and then I would shower and go to work. Yep, that's how. When I had a really good gym routine, it was always before work. It could never be after, especially on nights, because you think about it, you're going to be drained from the whole day, yeah, and you just don't want to do it. Um, well, not not only that, you take like let's say you're tired, you take pre workout, and then you go to the gym. You're not going to be able to fucking sleep. You already can't sleep during the day. It's an issue to begin with when yeah, you work on yeah. the nights. And if you work out before you work out, you'll you'll sleep you'll sleep so much better. Yeah, I, I found that. Yep, I agree. Um, for me, when I was going to the gym religiously before work, it was um, six to six was my shift. I would literally get to the station. Luckily, we had a gym at the station. Uh, I would get to the gym probably around three. That gave me enough time to do my cardio, my my lifting, shower before it, and I would be in briefing in time. And it was great. Then yeah. I went to 12 to 12 at a certain point, and I kind of changed it a little bit. But you find time, and, and you figure it out. And it wasn't something that I figured out instantly i had to try a few things and make it work at the habit just right but once i found it it was it was almost to the point where i was pissed when it didn't go that way and i would make it so i could get that way you'll figure it out and the same thing with with eating if if it's a if it's a priority if it's a real priority for you you will make it work don't give yourself you know david goggins has this fucking speech i used it in a video recently where he says you won't you don't want to get up at 4 35 o'clock in the morning when that alarm goes off you have to say to yourself this is what we do now Mm-hmm. And you really do, because even me now, I've been doing this for years. If my alarm clock goes off at 430 in the morning and I negotiate with myself for a fucking second, I lose. I will lose. I so, mm-hmm. like if I go back to sleep, I fucking lose. and I hate myself for the rest of the fucking day. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And another quote that I hear a lot is what you care about, you invest in. And that yep. can be invest in your time, invest in some effort. Not always a money thing, but hey, even if you have to pay dues to work at a, work at a certain gym or whatever, what you care about you invest in what you value you invest in. So think yeah. about that. I, same thing with time too. I, I live a very, very fucking boring life to, mo- to a lot of people. To me, it's a very fulfilling life. I do what I want to do. There's mm-hmm. I, I work out. I spend time with my family. I do uh, my side business stuff. I work and I do like, you know, obviously podcasts and whatever else, everything else. If that's the least priority in my life, if I might have extra time, maybe I'll do something else. But other than that, this is my life, man. And I love it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Loving your life. Like, yes, live a life you love. That's something I always hear. This, this one's not even a question, but he says, I need to sit down with this guy. My will is gone. So what would you say to him? I would say that to the same thing that I say to all my clients, you're, you're going to fucking die. 
you're going to die. If you don't fix your shit, you're going to die. And worse than that, your wife is going to fuck somebody else after you die. All right. And after that, if you have kids, that person is going to abuse your children. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? I, I tell my clients that all the time. I mean, to me, I, listen, people might say that's dark and that's fucked up, but I'll tell you this shit right now. That's the type of fucked up shit that I say to myself all the fucking time to keep me going. All right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to dig down to a fucking dark place to get that will and find your why. And that's the most important thing is finding your why. That guy hasn't found his why yet. All right. That's why he does. He lost his will. If he had a real fucking why to be there and he will find it, self-reflect, find it. You, you you'll never turn back. Yep. That's great. Love that. Uh, all right. So I've got a listener from Portland and she wants to know what was, if any, the ah fuck moment where you knew you needed to change. Um, so I've told this story a bunch of times and the truth is the ah fuck moment where I knew I needed to change was I had a legitimate nightmare one night laying in bed where I died at work that I was overcome by a perp. I was thrown off a building. It was just my daughter at the time. Uh, my son wasn't born yet. And uh, I literally had an envisioning of her lighting a candle for me and my, her sweet 16. Like I was fucking dead. All right. And it was so real that I was like, fuck this shit. I got to change. And I pretty much woke up the next day. I started dieting. I bought a bike and I started doing all these things slowly and just never, never looked back. And again, that's that deep, dark place where you picked yourself up and you're like, all right, I got to get my shit together. And, and you went. Yeah. This next question says, how do we change toxic police culture that is deep ingrained? It starts with the individual, man. Uh, you have to be an example. It's going to be uncomfortable as fuck to be your own person on this job and in life. You look at how we treat politics. People either want you to join one side or the other, and you can't be in the middle. You, but I'm telling you right now, you have to remain being your own individual and have your own values. And the people who align with you will find you. Because there's way, honestly, there's way more of us that think differently and not like, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. them these toxic people, people are just afraid and they fall in line with these toxic people because they don't want to be the next victim of their bullying or like their negativity. Yeah. Right. But I'm telling you, you have to be independent and be your own person and spread a message message of positivity and support to other people. And at baseline, just be a good fucking human. Yep. That's what it comes down to is just be a good human, a good fellow coworker, care about them, help them. Try to hold them to a higher standard. If you see something fucked up going on in their life, I'm not saying, yo, asshole, what it, t- say something, but try to have a conversation with them. Okay? Tell them, you, I care about you, and I don't want this to affect you. Come at it with a place of love. Yeah. Uh, we got to st- start replacing this fucking negative bullshit with love. that we Because ca- we do fucking care for each other. We're just really shitty at showing <laughs> it, and we, yeah. get sucked, and we get sucked into this negative fucking cop hater love style hater style like we all fucking hate it we all like especially social media we're all haters like all cops are all fucking haters on each other you can see in all the comments they just talk shit about each other it's got to stop we got to eliminate those shit talkers man yeah we can't let them be the loudest voice in our culture the people that care the people that love the people that want people to be better those have to be the loudest voices absolutely and you know i was i was brought up in a family where we bust balls right that's just how that's my love language and I'm, yeah. I'm all good with busting balls and whatever, but there needs to be a true and heartfelt talk somewhere amidst all the bullshit where, you know, that it comes out of a place of love and, and, you know, talk about my buddy that, that took his own life. 
and before that we had a, a buddy of ours who who got uh killed in the line of duty everybody in that friend group from from those two incidents we are tighter than we've ever been and mm-hmm. you know we we always check in on each other hey buddy you good blah 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 and, but we still talk shit you know what i mean like it's it's a good friendship it's not just all touchy-feely yo ball breaking is fucking great all right because i'll tell you this shit right now if i don't like you i ain't breaking your balls mm-hmm. all right and i think that's that's one thing but there's a i mean there's a line to be drawn of right? course I, of course I mean, and you see it. I know, like, I follow every fuck. I follow you. I follow fucking, like, pretty much all these meme pages. I love all of them, right? But there's times when certain pages, they draw a line where it just becomes, like, bullying at a certain Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And fuck that. You read the comments and, like, where a page might be making a joke, those people who are in the comments, they ain't fucking joking. They are serious. And And they're going for blood, yeah. Yo, and it's fucked up. And that's the shit that's got to stop. Like, everybody could take a ball breaking, but people know when people are serious and people are fucking joking around. And, like, those people in those comments, bro, they say some fucked up shit about other cops. And it's it's gross, honestly. Yeah, it's it's too much. I agree. And, I, you know, I've had people come into my DMs about it, and they think that they're going to get, like, this tough guy, whatever. I'm like, bro, cut the shit. Like, you went too yeah. far, or whatever it might be. Again, when it's not fighting in public... They cower down. Right. Exactly. So uh, this next question, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what this is, but it says drop your hit list. My hit list. Yeah. Like songs. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's there's no, I don't know. What, I don't All know right. what my hit list is. All right. So All right let's we'll, say it's songs. Anything okay. notorious VIG. Uh, when I'm in the gym, I listen to everybody's going to laugh. I mentioned this on the last podcast I was on. They're two brothers. They're DJs. It's two friends. It's called two friends, and the mixes are called big booty mixes. All right. Okay. There's one through. There's one through twenty, and they like they mix a lot of great tracks, like old school, new school, with some like hip hop shit. It's fucking dope, and uh, I like anything old school hip hop mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Big Pond, Notorious B.I.G. Yeah, uh, we were uh, you know, rock him stuff like that. Yeah, when I was coming in from the gym, or when I was at the gym uh it's tricky came on run dmc yes. and i was like that's got to be the song that's got to be the song for you today i don't know why that's just yeah. that's what i'm gonna attach to it um nice. you ever feel more connection to a criminal than a victim oh for sure yeah i mean uh this is another part where emotional intelligence is super important and learning that skill is super important because you develop empathy mm-hmm. right you let realize what triggers you and what would trigger somebody else um I had a dude from a shooting. Um, uh, he was arrested in the cells, and I was with my perp. And the guy just committed a homicide, and uh, he shot somebody. And like I was a young cop, and I always used to be like, "Yo, so why'd you kill that guy?" Right? And he'd be like, "That guy raped my sister." Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that changes perspective a lot, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean. So there were other times, uh, you know, throughout my police career. That's just the one. I could think of right off the bat, but there's definitely other times where like, especially in a lot of these domestics, like, let's be cool. Let's be real here. Like a lot of people play that domestic violence yeah. card. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm calling 911 and you know that they're fucking lying, but there's nothing you can do about it. You yeah. still have to, cops got to do what they got to yeah. do. It sucks. Yeah. The, the, either the baby mama drama, just generally speaking, oh, yeah. or the, I'm going to get him in trouble because I don't want him to be with his new girlfriend, whatever it might be. You know, I've I've worked in the inner city. I've seen it, and it's the most frustrating thing. 
because especially here in Florida, if you can find a primary aggressor, you will make an arrest. Like it's written in the statute. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating. I've had like to the point where the dude was baited into whatever he was doing or, or the female, whatever, whatever side it is was baited into doing something and they did it. And he's like, dude, it's not even like that. And I'm like, bro, I know, but you broke the law. Yo, yo, it's fucked up. Right. So what, women here do all the time is they will get an order of protection against their man, their baby's father or yeah. ex-boyfriend. And then they'd be like, yo, I'm sorry, just come over. And then they'll come over and then they'll call 911 and they'll get arrested for violating the order of protection. Yeah. yeah. Like it's fucked up and they do it on purpose. They set them up, man. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. Yep. That, or, uh, this one, this one was wild. It was, uh, baby daddy was, uh, lived a couple blocks down from where she lived, called Mm. in a shooting complaint, said that, Hey, this guy's in front of this house, popping off rounds, a bunch of kids all over the place. We run in like gangbusters, you know? And, uh, it's just the dude. And uh, we're like, Hey man, what's going on? And she, and he's like, nothing like just sitting out here having a smoke. Nothing. It's like, Oh, okay. Well we got calls about people shooting. He's like, nah, man, there's, old ladies live on the street. Like there's nothing going on. I was like, all right, man, no problem. Hey, you got your license real quick. We, cause we got to identify everybody we talked to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a warrant. Like they just did that. So we would just identify him and get him for his that warrant. Sucks, man. I was like, and yeah. the dude was literally not doing, I mean, he didn't know he had the warrant, but she knew. And yo, so this is something that while we're on this topic of like fucked up criminal justice system shit, like this is the type of shit. This is the shit honestly, that the public needs to know. Mm-hmm. Like, they want to blame us for their problems, but they're the ones <laughs> creating all this fucking, a lot of this shit, yeah. man. A lot of these arrests are for nonsense, And but you guys are calling us there for a lot of this shit, all right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like trust us when I say this. Like, we don't want to fucking do that, all right? Like, you are forcing our hand in that situation to do that. Yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. And that, you know, and as I progressed in my career and I started thinking more with my, human brain and not my cop brain i started going to scenes and starting to see things a little differently the the best one i talked about this in a previous episode um had a fight call at a mcdonald's we get there one party's left the people at mcdonald's said hey this guy was like all on this girl um she turned around she pepper sprayed him and he took off i was like cool man i will and the, the chick was like 17 i was like fuck yeah i will fuck up a kid that a guy that wants to fuck with kids. No problem. Like I'm all for it. Interview the female, the uh, alleged victim. That's what her story was. It stuck. Cool. We sent out a, uh, a bolo for the guy who did not live in our jurisdiction. The, uh, that jurisdiction ended up going, they got contact with him, And, you know, I was writing up his arrest paperwork. I was ready to take him, go in there, separate him from everything, read him his rights. Say, Hey man, what happened? He goes, well, yeah, I was kind of a dick in McDonald's. I'm not going to say it wasn't. I was being a dick. And then they said to leave and I left. I was like, okay, but when did when did you get into it with the 17-year-old? He goes, I, I didn't. I was like, well, got three people here saying that you you know, grabbed her and followed her home and everything. He's like, that never happened. I was like, okay, but you got pepper sprayed. And you were pepper sprayed. I was pepper sprayed. Everybody who's a cop was pepper sprayed. There was no residue on this man's face at all. I was like, when were you pepper sprayed? He's like, I wasn't pepper sprayed. I was like, okay. Like, and like, I start, I get his clothes. I get his, uh, his car, no pepper spray anywhere. And you know, that stuff doesn't go away. Like it is, it's stuck to you. And I, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to arrest this guy. 
Yeah. I don't have probable cause. I don't. And I got yelled at for that. I got yelled at for not making that arrest. They're like, you you need to check with us and, and confirm before you un- don't arrest somebody. I was like, no, no, <laughs> this gun on no, my hip. And this yeah, 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 I was like, you, you trust me not to take somebody's life or to take someone's life. I think I can decide whether or not this guy needs to go to jail or not. Right, exactly. But the, these crazy just lies and whatever that we get roped into, like any other cop who just didn't do the extra thing and, you know, get his clothes and everything, they would have hooked him for what, for what, he, right. you know, it's just, and yes, the, it just, it leads to the, the jamming up of the legal system and to, you know, people being in jail that just don't need to be in jail. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't know. It's, it, there's so many different aspects to this culture that needs to be addressed the, I need to tell everyone that isn't a police officer. Obviously, if you found your way to this podcast, you probably support the police anyway. But I need to let you know that the cops are not the problem here. <laughs> um, you know, the, obviously, you know, you can you can speak for this. Um, it's the politicians. It's the lawmakers. Yeah. For it's, the most part, the politicians, the lawmakers. Listen, th- there are problematic cops. For of sure. course. Of course. But the amount of problematic cops is so small. OK. And we fucking hate them, too. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, trust me, because they make us all look like assholes. Yeah. And that's why I always fucking call them out. All right. They need to be called out by us. Right. But the rest of them, most of us, 99.9% of us are good fucking people. All right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we're, yeah. we're a little broken. And that's what the most of our conversation day was talking about fixing the broken pieces. Um, yes. But that's not their fault. They're not bad people. They just they are dealing with things incorrectly. And that's what we're trying to fix. We're not, yes. you know, and if you're one of these people that, you know, Cause listen, like you said, uh, a guy who's heavy, who's eating wrong and not working out. He knows just like a guy who's sleeping around. He knows guy that's drinking too much. He knows. And I say he, but I, that's just my default pronoun. I mean, guy, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a trigger. Oh no. Yeah. Um, that being said, like <laughs> you're not a bad person. You're just, no, you just need help and you need, yes. we are all here to, to reach out to these people and say, Hey, you're, you know, Aaron's speaking from a place of, experience i'm speaking from a place of experience whoever is doing it as long as they're not just trying to take your money for some bullshit program which they're you know that was something i was on today there's there's a lot of charlatans out there there's a lot of people that just want your money but the people that actually care like i've never met probably 99 percent of the people that follow me on instagram but Uh they came to me and said hey man i need some help i need some resources gladly i will give you i will give you 20 of them good you know what I mean? That's and that's yeah, how no. it is. Absolutely, man. So, anyway, it is. Uh, it's almost eleven o'clock at night here, Aaron. This was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you kind of picking apart things and and staying up with me. It's, it's nah, I had a great, great. I, I had a great time. Honestly, thank you. I absolutely. appreciate it. If anybody wants to get in contact with you or follow you on social media or see what you're doing, how do they do it? Um, um, at huge H U G E underscore fat F A T underscore loser on Instagram, and I have a TikTok too, but I don't dance. All right, okay, okay. No, dancing. no dancing over here. It's okay. literally the same shit uh, that's on Instagram, and I have a website, AaronLoman.com. Nice, and he's got some really good merch on there too. You might want to check it out. Thank you, absolutely, Aaron. This has been absolutely great. Everyone who's listening, stay tuned. I'll be right back to close it out, and uh, Aaron, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, man. No problem. Peace. Again, y'all. Uh. Uh. NYC 
Philly, Southwest Coast, Midwest, let's go. If hip hop should die before I wake, I put an extended clip and body them all day. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. If hip hop should die before I wake, I load an extended clip and body them all day. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. Roller A station, wreck the DJ. Smoke, chill, party, and die in the same corner. Get cast, live fast, body they man's mama. Quick, fast, trigger fingers on a llama. Revenge in the eyes, Hennessy in the ganja. Word to the wise, with villain state of minds. Grinded, hitting Brazilian dimes from behind. Grinded, hitting Brazilian dimes from behind. Grinded, hitting Brazilian dimes from behind. Whenever, if ever, I roll up, it's sewn up. Any ghetto would tell you, nice help grow what's up. My face once graced promotional Sony trucks. 100 million in billing, I helped blow them up. Gave my man my right, I could have went left. So like my girl Foxy, the kid went dead. So people, who's the top 10? Is it MC Shan? Is it MC Ren? If hip-hop should die before I wake, I put an extended clip and body them all day. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. If hip-hop should die before I wake, I load an extended clip and body them all day. Roller every station, wreck the DJ. Roller A station, wreck the DJ. Man, I haven't listened to that song in a long time. So I probably let it play a little too long. Hopefully you guys didn't tune out. Um, good song. Also, before we wrap this all the way up, a couple things I wanted to say a few weeks ago and totally forgot. Uh, the Kanye West documentary on Netflix, uh, Genius, is absolutely amazing. I know people you know, feel a certain way about Kanye one way or another. Uh, Literally, the documentary explains why you feel about Kanye the way he do, the way you do. He's uh he's not well, man. He's not he's not he's not all there, unfortunately. Uh, you see him starting out, you see him blowing up, and then you see him now. And I think it's a mix between getting too famous too quickly, and you know he he mentions drug use and. Mental health, man, is what we're talking about. But something he did say about it and kind of ties into what Aaron and I were talking about. When Kanye came out and said that he had mental health issues, everything that he said henceforth, everyone kind of discredited him because he's a crazy person, quote unquote. Very interesting. And that's the stigma. That's the stigma of mental health, you know, and and it's so true. Like, if I say, hey, man, I've been depressed or, hey, I've had, you know, bad thoughts or whatever, then people start looking at you like, oh, man, he's he's like about to like off himself. Right. And that's a legit feeling and fear for people coming out with their own issues. And, and, and Aaron and I discussed that. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind and um, check that documentary out because it's it. I I. I couldn't stop watching it. I was hooked. On top of that, since uh, Aaron's all about rap music, I I grew up listening to rap music, bro. Um, before I found ska and pop punk and hardcore and the stuff that I listen to now, I was heavy into rap, which is weird because I grew up in a town with two traffic lights and absolutely no hip-hop scene, no rap scene. Me and my buddies were it. For a long time, we were the only ones that really listened to rap, and we we listened to everything from Eminem and Fifty Cent and G Unit, Snoop Dogg, like everything that you know. I discre- you know, I I may talk crap about now, but we also talk. We listened to Kanye. We listened to uh, conscious backpack rappers. Um, 
all that stuff. So that being said, there's a bunch of cool hip hop documentaries on Netflix. If anyone is interested, I know that's typically, you know, hip hop and, uh, police. That's kind of, it doesn't always go together. Guess what? Neither does punk rock and police, but, um, it's okay. You can, you can like the music for the music and, and it doesn't have to get political, but there's uh, one called rapture. The first episode's about logic. I love that episode. I've watched it several times. Then the second one's about Nas, who was the song we just heard. And then there's some other stuff too. And then there's also one about the history of hip hop. Uh, I think I'm an episode into that. It's really cool. I find hip hop documentaries so interesting, so different. And uh, like growing up, one of my favorite documentary series was beef where it talked about like the different hip hop groups and hip hop stars beefing and, and things like that. Interesting stuff. Anyway, why are we talking about this? I just want to let you guys know, special thanks to huge fat loser Aaron Lohman for coming by and chatting and kind of giving his two cents about it. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, guys. You should probably re-listen to it and take some notes next time because I think he said a lot of things that are very important and that for our police departments to be, to live up to their potential, this is, he, he nailed it on the head. If you are in a position of leadership or, you know, and leadership, and we're going to talk to talk about this in a few weeks, does not mean you have stripes or bars or anything like that. You can be a police officer, no special assignments or anything, and be a leader. And it starts with the individual. And that's something that Aaron said also. So if you are one of these leaders or you want to be a leader, this, the, the Ben episode we had, those are all different episodes and, and ideas that I would say are progressively thinking of changing police culture. But who am I? You know, I'm just giving you some ideas, giving you food for thought. The 10 podcast really has changed over the past six or seven months. It's no longer just, you know, chilling and BS. And I feel like the, the purpose and the, uh, the steering of the ship has changed a little bit. You know, uh, Dave Grossman said it a few weeks ago, you know, to be 10, eight, to be ready for action, ready for duty. And, and that's what I'm trying to do, man. I'm trying to make sure you guys are ready to go. You are 10, eight. I may, you know, I've even thought about bringing back the I'm 10, eight wristbands just because of this new sense of direction I have. So. One last thing I want to close on. Uh, We just came home from a baseball game. Yeah, we're going to talk about baseball today, guys. Where where did this come from? We talked about hip-hop, whatever. But you know what? I'm just going to wrap this up with something a little more lighthearted. So we just came back from a baseball game. I absolutely love baseball. Um, It's it's my favorite sport. Uh, I wish I was better at it so I could have played it longer into my life. I tried. There was a time where I was an umpire. Um... I wanted to be a baseball uh, broadcaster. Even when I was a history major, I thought about being a baseball historian. I just love baseball, man. Like, if I could get hired to just work at a baseball stadium and just watch the games, I would love it. I would even be the mascot, man. I don't care. Um, And I was thinking of the first time that I went to a baseball – well, first time I went to a New York Yankee game in the Bronx, old school Yankee Stadium – I was probably like nine or ten. My dad got tickets from his drinking buddy. They were at a bar. He couldn't make it. So he scooped me up and we went. It was like two hours from our house to New York City to the Bronx. We went. Absolutely amazing. I went with uh, my buddy a bunch of times. We we went. 
Uh, it was somehow we wound up at Old Timers Day, which was so cool seeing the old New York Yankees. Uh, I've seen countless minor league games. Uh, now that I'm in Southwest Florida, the Tropicana Field is literally like in my backyard. So even though to me that's baseball in a warehouse, which is not cool, but it's still baseball. So, and if you're in South Florida, I mean, the AC isn't too bad. And it's even cooler because right now I'm in like spring training alley. So if I had more time, uh, I would just be going to spring, spring training games every single day I have off. So it's very cool. If you guys are into baseball or whatever, just drop me a line. I feel like this is something that we could bond about. Let's, let's, let's be friends. Anyway, guys, that does conclude today's episode. I just wanted to drop a little line about that because it was on my mind as we were driving home from the game today. I was like, you know, I really want to talk about baseball. So, and my girlfriend, she's like, she's keeping up with the conversation, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that concludes today's episode, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next week, we've got Kat, a.k.a. Pew Pew Goddess from Arizona. And she's, man, we talked about a lot. We talked a lot about a lot with her. So I want you guys to check it out next week on Thursday. As always, the following week, we've got the leadership episode with Tom Rizzo, George Frannick, Kevin Malone, and Lamont Quarker. And we've got Michelle from Southwest Florida. Also, she's going to tune in for a little bit. Uh, she couldn't be there for the full episode. So we're going to have like a little sidebar conversation at the end of the episode with her. The following week after that, we have Tom Rizzo. He's going to be talking about his book, Cop Kazi. And after that, we have the 10-8 Gangbang, which sounds a whole lot more fun than it is. No, I'm sorry. That The Gangbang made me so excited. After that, we have Liv. She is Thin Blue Scribble. She is a Canadian police officer. She also is an illustrator. She does cartoons. We actually uh, co-opt a meme slash cartoon together that was pretty cool i came up with the idea she drew it i wrote the words really cool i'm going to repost it when we do the episode then we've got the gang bang bc sanders comes back we're going to talk about gangs in america he works in a gang unit so a lot of fun stuff with that following that we're going to have bc and dave back for punk rock cops 2 from there, we have a lot of different options where we can go. I can't wait. I have so many ideas, so many things to do. The merch is live. If you have ordered something and you haven't received it yet, it's because we're still producing it. That's the Goons, the Chaser shirts. Um, I think that's it. The Goons and the Chaser shirts, I think those are the only ones that we're waiting on to get back. Anything else is good to go. You can order anything right now. 10-8-memes.ecwid.com And we will send it out. The Goons Cups brought to you by Canuck Canada. Once we hit 10 or 12 orders at a time, then we send it to the people up in Canada. They manufacture the cups. They come to me. I send them right out as soon as I get them. That's kind of how it works. Please, Please check out the store, get something, and uh, you know it, it. It helps support me. It helps support this little endeavor that we're doing here, and it helps us move forward to to bigger and better things. So, all that said, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me, checking us out, rate, review, subscribe, share this to your friends. That's really the the best way. Get us out there. Get us to new ears and we can continue to grow really appreciate you guys thank you so much for joining us we'll see you next week take care of each other stay safe 10-8 out
Taxes and crime allowances Vanessa fell away some kind of fist But now I'm counting this Parmesan when my account lives In fact I'm down in this Juicy with my boobay tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst Girl I can buy your ass a world with my pay stubs You're that pussy good won't you sit it on my taste buds I get way too petty once you let me do the extra Be humble.